0: Good morning. If you'd like to go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of Psalms. we are starting our studying there this morning in the book of Psalms, chapter 16. <clears throat> and while you are turning there and getting your Bibles out and opening them up, I, I want to say how, how grateful I am for each and every one of you, for your attendance here and for being here with us. For For those who are visiting with us, that is, you are a, a huge encouragement to us each and every time that we see you and also for our members that are here. You are such an encouragement to me. I hope that I can, can encourage you as well with my presence and as we all gather together to sing these songs of praise and to open our hearts in prayer and to open His Word as a guide to us. Psalm 16 is part of that guide, and that's what I want to read to you in verse, <clears throat> in verse 11 this morning. Excuse me, Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You will make known to me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I am fairly certain that just about all Christians would agree with what we just read. That in God, we have a pres- in His presence, there is a fullness of joy. There is true happiness. And there are true pleasures that are, that are made available by His right hand. But at the same time, even though we would agree with these statements, we also would also find ourselves at times not as close to God as we would like. We find ourselves spiritually weak. We find ourselves filled with depression. We find ourselves gripped with anxiety. In such times, what can we do in order to become close to God again? The answer to that question is found in Psalm 16, verse 8. It says, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. It's when we set the Lord before us that we receive the benefits of his blessing, uh, the benefits of his presence. And I want to spend, spend some time talking about that this morning. But before we do so, I need to make a point about this afternoon. I want to encourage you to, to make sure that you are here this afternoon, especially if maybe in the past it has been your habit not to do so. Because, for starters, we are greatly encouraged and greatly lifted up by your presence. Whenever we are all here together, we, we are doing something which God has ordained us to do, not, not just for the sole benefit of His enjoyment and His pleasure. Certainly, He is the audience in our worship. And we are participating in that together. But he's also instituted this because he knows the importance of it for, for us as individuals and for, uh, for us as a collective. But, so certainly we need to strive at every opportunity to be here for that, but also because of the topic that we're going to be studying this afternoon. That topic is revolving around the reliability of the book that we're reading. We are asking the question this morning, how is it that I can draw closer to God? And we're going to open God's Word and we're going to see what He reveals to us in ways that we can draw closer to Him. But can we know that the words that He has revealed to us are reliable? Can we know that, that the words that are, that are in here that provide hope are words that we can trust? Well that's the topic for this afternoon's lesson. I, I I hope that you will you will make every effort to be here for that because it is that word that guides our lives and we need to know that that word is something that we can we can put all our trust in. But this morning we're going to start by noticing where are we setting God? Where is God set before us? Is he is he set in front of us as a leader? Or is he set behind us as someone that is that is less than us? Or maybe he's set beside us as if we have made ourselves an equal. Where are we setting the Lord? We need to be setting Him before us. And we can do that by beginning and looking through His creation. The nature uh, that, that God has made and that we see around us can help us to draw closer to Him. In Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, we see that His creation speaks to us. And specifically, in verses 1 and 2, it talks about His glory. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanses declaring the works of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night... Reveals knowledge. The things that we see in His creation have so much to say. In Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, we realize that they are, t- that they are or we read that they are teaching us about His, His deity and about the, the, the nature of, of Him as a God. It says in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, So that they are without excuse. When we take time to contemplate God's creation, we understand more of His power. We understand more of His person. And this understanding helps us to come closer to God in a relationship, just as any relationship hinges on the understanding of each other, such as a marriage. Marriages grow closer or grow stronger whenever those who are bound in that marriage grow closer together and learn more about one another. So can we grow closer to God as we learn more about who He is, and especially as we see that in the world that He has created. Now there are examples of this in the Bible. If you were to flip back to Genesis 24, uh, we, we'll read there, we would read there about Isaac. Isaac would go it went into the field to pray, separated himself from the, the, the village from, from the place where he lived and stepped out into God's creation to pray. But Jesus is an example that I want to look at this morning in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, Jesus did something that he would do oftentimes in his life here on earth. He removed himself from the crowds to pray to God. and Jesus in Matthew 14 verse 23 says, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. This was something that he, that he made a habit of. Whenever, even towards the end of his life, he stepped away from everything. And he, went, he took his, his, the, the three disciples with him that, that he took and, and even asked them to stay here while I go even farther. And I go into the garden. I go into God's creation to be with my Father in prayer. We see that it just may be easier for us to draw closer to God when we're in the midst of His creation and not man's creation. When we're not in the midst of of cities and and, and streets and buildings and and we step out of that for a minute to see what God in the beginning created with His Word. Maybe that can just help us a little bit, make it a little bit easier to draw closer to Him. But But God's creation can only tell you so much about Him. To draw even closer, we need to understand that we do that through His revelation. God's Word provides the full revelation of God. And though nature uh, does certainly teach us things about God, it is limited in its aspect. We can learn about God and and nature. We can learn about His power. We can learn about His divinity, that that He is certainly higher than than all the things that He has made. His glory and His his knowledge, the the knowledge of God to be able to do the the amazing things that He has done in His creation is, is... Mind-boggling to even think about. But we learn nothing of His will through His creation. We learn nothing of His purpose for man on this earth just by looking at His creation. It's only through His divine revelation that God has made His will fully known. And He's revealed many things to us through the Holy Spirit, who in turn gave those things to His apostles. And they wrote them down so that we would have them today. Turn over to 1 Corinthians for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and read with me in verses 9 through 12. But just as it is written, Things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him, for, uh, for to us God revealed Him through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. And Paul writes to the Corinthians here. Paul's got a lot on his mind. It seems as if, judging by some of the language used later in the book, that the Corinthians had actually written a letter to him. They'd ask, they had some questions, and and he doesn't seem to respond to many of those questions. Uh, before he first has to make these points that are on his mind about the church at Corinth. And one of the first things he does there is he points out, he calls them out about something that's going on. He calls them out of the the divisions, the fighting, and the, the, the parties that are being formed in Corinth. You'll remember that there were some who were saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Cephas, and Apollos, and Christ. And so, in chapter 1, he calls them out for this. And then he points out to them this point of made about the wisdom of God Versus the wisdom of the world. And he is telling them that the world finds the wisdom of God foolish. The Romans certainly would find the wisdom of God foolish. Here you have sent a a man that is going to save your people. And he he is not all that impressive to look at. And and he doesn't do all that, that, that many impressive things as far as military might would concern. In fact, he was captured and he was killed. Well, that seems like a very foolish plan. And so the wisdom of the world sees God's wisdom as foolish. But notice in chapter two, in verse six, what he says to them. He says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age. Not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to, to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord. Of glory. Paul is going to go on to tell them that even though this might not be the wisdom of this age, and that's very relevant today, how oftentimes do we hear for all the problems that we might have and for all the, the instances where, where we might be sinking spiritually farther away from God and sinking into, into these things that, that oftentimes take our attention off of Him, such as uh, fear and, and, and even greed? And, and when we see those things, the world says, Here's what you have to do. This is the wisdom of the world. But Paul says, I'm not going to talk to you about the wisdom of the world. And I'm not going to talk to you about the wisdom of God with great and powerful words either. He tells them, I didn't come with, uh, proclaiming the testimony with, with elaborate words and persuasive words. He says, it's not what I say that matters. It's not this great and, and, and powerful speaking, but it's this great and powerful message that, that draws us closer to Him. And we need to depend upon that Word to remain closer to Him. A great example of that is seen in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, we, we see the Son of God. We see Jesus the Christ. And, and time after time after time, Jesus is in the wilderness and He is, he is uh, been there for some time and, and Satan comes to him and is trying to tempt him over and over again. He tries to tempt him and time and time again, Jesus answers the tempter with scripture. He could have answered him with anything. He was the son of God. He could have done whatever he wanted, but he sets the example for us by time and time again, turning to God's word for the answer for these problems. And this was a time when Jesus was weak physically. He was hungry, and he was thirsty, and he's experiencing some of the more difficult situations that humans face in a fleshly body, and this is the time that Satan tries to tempt him. And this is what we can expect, that when we are likewise dealing with difficulties, when we are dealing with times of of physical weaknesses, and especially when we are dealing with times of spiritual weaknesses, Satan is going to be looking for that opening in which he can try and, and, and get his hooks in, try and get a, a, one of those flaming arrows through that armor that we are to put on. And so when we hunger for things that are contrary to God's Word, or when we thirst for things that are, that are maybe following after the wisdom of this world, as Paul talked about, maybe a, a big problem that, that I see today is, is this idea of, of thirsting for, for gossip, thirsting for what's, what's going on in the world around me. Social media has, has really done a wonderful thing for, for mankind because it's allowed us to connect in ways that, that wasn't really possible before. But it's also been detrimental as well because it's allowed us to become more focused with what's going on with my neighbor, what's going on in their life, what's going on in the in celebrity world, and less about what's going on in my own heart and what's going on in God's Word. Sometimes sports scores, or even the stock market, things such as this, draw our attention away. That's what we are thirsting for. And I want to point out that just like Jesus wasn't wrong for being hungry, He wasn't wrong for being thirsty, there are going to be times when we are thirsting for things of the world and that they're not going to be inherently wrong in themselves. But we do need to realize that when we find ourselves in those situations, and again, I'm not talking about gossip now, that's always wrong. But when we find ourselves thirsting for things uh, that, that, that we feel that we do need, we need to recognize that Satan is looking for opportunities like that. He's looking for times when we feel like we need something so that He can put something else up in our way that's, that takes our focus away from God, takes our focus away from the answer, the solution to those things that we need. And Jesus' response to that was to remind Himself over and over again of the will of God revealed through His Word. That is how I will answer the, the devil when he tempts me with this worldly advice. But please don't stop at just listening to God through His Word. We need to take that a step farther. We really need to draw close to God, and we really need to set Him before us by doing so through our prayers. God has revealed Himself to us in His creation, and, and, and in His creation we have seen so much about, about His, His being and about His attributes, and then He has revealed Himself to us in, our, in the revelation, in His Word, and in that we have seen that He has a plan for us, that He loves us, it's time for us to reveal ourselves to Him. And we do so through prayer. Now, that, that, what that's telling us then is this is a two-way street. This whole idea of, of revealing information. It's not expected to just be a, a, a one-sided flow of information. God expects for us to take what we, when we have His message revealed to us, to take our own lives and reveal them back to Him. And the means by which we express our concerns to him, we find that we will reveal or we will receive the appropriate blessings for that. In Philippians 4, we're told to reveal ourselves to him in all things uh, through prayer with thanksgiving. Let's turn over there. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is, this is vitally important to putting the Lord before us. Being secure against the devil. You see, Satan loves to try and disrupt our peace and when I say that, what well, we need to hear in our minds, when, when, we, when we think Satan is trying to disrupt my peace, Satan is trying to disrupt my faith. Satan is trying to take the peace which God has given and, and to say that's not enough. That can't protect you. That can't save you. He's trying to take away my trust in the God that, I, that has been revealed to me. And how does God say that we answer that? We answer it through prayer. What well, God tells us is when Satan is trying to do that, it's time for us to set out the guard dog. It's time for us to set up a perimeter to protect our hearts and our minds from what he is attempting to do. I'll give you a, a, a very personal example of this that's happened to me in the recent months. As you know, I've, I've, I've dealt with this. <laughs> Charles calls him my, my tag along. I've, I've had a, my, my little buddy, my parasite that we picked up while I was in Africa. And, and among one more of the more inconvenient parts of that is the not, not the pain that it has caused, but the, the emotional distress that has come. And there was a night several months ago when, when I was thinking about this more than I should have been. I was focusing on this extensively. And I remember walking around the house and I just had, had these images in my mind of, of being just completely filled up. Or completely eat up with this parasite, and I convinced myself at the time that I'm just I'm going to die. This is just going to be it for me. It's going to kill me, and and that that fear continued to grow and continued to take hold of me until by the time we went to bed, I laid and I tossed and turned all night, and I finally sat up and and I woke up Holly, and she said, "What's the matter with you?" And I said, "I'm having a heart attack," and I knew I wasn't having a heart attack, and I told her. I said, I. I don't think I'm really having a heart attack, but my arms are numb, I can't sleep, uh, I'm, I'm clammy, I feel like I'm dying, and I know what this is, it's anxiety, it is fear, it has gripped me, and I can't get out of its grasp, and, and, I, and I thought to myself, what have I done wrong? I've went to the doctor, and I've w- talked to, to friends who have dealt with this, and family members, and, and I've taken the supplements and the medicine, and it dawned on me, I haven't, those things are good. There's nothing wrong with those things, but I haven't went to the true source of healing. I haven't went to the true source of comfort. And so I I told Holly, because I wasn't at the time, I was doing everything I could not to to have a stroke. And so I said, Holly, please pray. And and we prayed together. And and for the first time that night, I I relaxed. I was able to close my eyes. I was able to go to sleep. And I woke up the next morning and I, I thought, wow. And then I thought, why am I so surprised? Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7 says that's what prayer does. It guards our hearts and our minds. This shouldn't surprise us that God has done what He has said He will do. And that's why Hebrews 4 says, Go to Him boldly. You don't have to go to Him with timidity or with fear. In, in, in the New American Standard it says with confidence. Verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest... Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God? Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near him, or near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Why is it that we draw near to him in confidence? We had a great study about this uh, on Saturday morning. And we can draw near to confidence with Him because we know that He is a God that does not lie. And we know that He is a God that does not change. And so the things that He has promised us, they are still going on today. Over in Luke chapter 4, in in Luke 4, the setting of of that, that account, Jesus walks into the synagogue and He says, Bring me the book of Isaiah. And so the the synagogue leader gives him the book of Isaiah, and he opens it up in verses 18 and 19. He reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he closes the book, and he hands it back to the synagogue leader, and he goes and he sits down, and everyone's staring at him, and he says... This prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says, I've come to do this. And certainly, physically, he did many of these things. The sick were healed, the blind were given sight. But metaphorically, it is talking about spiritual healing, it is talking about being set free from the bondage of sin. And, and Christ has said, This is what I've come to do. And so, when we go to God in confidence, we do so because we don't go on our own merit. We don't go because we've, we've done something that makes us worthy of asking for anything, but we go on the merit of that perfect sacrifice of our high priest. When we approach the throne of mercy, we do so knowing that it is our high priest who asks on our behalf. And I hope, I hope that thought alone, that thought alone fills you with so much strength. It is not, it is not me making this petition to God. It is His Son who gave everything for him. It is Jesus who speaks on my behalf, who intercedes for you. And finally, let me suggest that we we put the God, we put the Lord before us through viewing him in his creation, through understanding him in his revelation, through opening our hearts to him in prayer. And finally, we do the same thing through our Fellowship. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12, we read that strength comes from togetherness. It says, "...two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart." Now, in view of the very real danger of falling away, of, of allowing spiritual weakness and, and, other, um, and other things that Satan will, will try at his very best to draw us away from God. In view of that very real danger, Hebrews 3 tells us we need to be exhorting one another daily. Daily. Hebrews 3:12 through 13. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by sin. How well do we do that? I had to think about that verse for a while. How well do I do that? Daily exhorting, daily encouraging my brethren. That's something I need to work on. That's something that I want to get better at. I hope that's something that, that you, if you feel like that, if you realize that is something you've not been doing to daily lift up your brethren, I hope that's something that you want to get better at. He then goes on to tell us in chapter 10 that not only do we need to be lifting up one another daily, but he talks about the, the designation of our assemblies and the purpose of them in chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate. I love that word. I love the word stimulate because I wake up in the morning and I am not stimulated. Holly can vouch for that. She has to drag me out of the bed some mornings because I don't like to get up in the morning. And so I need to be stimulated. And for those of you that woke up this morning and had a cup of coffee, you know what the word stimulate means. Maybe there are some of you that, that freak with the energy drink. I try not to do that as much as I did in the past. They give me the jitters, but I, when I, you drink a monster energy, you know what stimulate means, that's the word that he chooses to use here. That the, uh, the, the Hebrew writer says we are to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Other translations say provoke one another. That means that this morning, when we, when we got up to come to, to services, one of the things that needed to be on our mind is how am I going to stimulate my brethren? How am I going to stimulate each and every one of you to do good deeds, to continue on in the work which we have been given by the Lord? I need, that needs to be a thought in my mind. What can I do to encourage that? Verse 25 goes on to give a little more insight saying not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 and Hebrews three twelve and 13 are saying to us then about this issue of setting the Lord before us is that this is an issue that, is, that requires more than one part. If I'm going to set the Lord before me, and if you're going to set the Lord before you, we need to be setting the Lord before each other as well. I can't expect to set the Lord before me and never allow him to be set before you as well. And what that says then is that we are are kind of like a fire. And we are kind of like the coals in that fire. And it is our job to try and one, make sure that we are all gathered together as closely as possible. So the light of that fire can can be as bright as it can be. And the heat felt from that fire can radiate as far as it can possibly radiate. But that also means that when we see a coal starting to roll off to the edge, we need to try to reach out daily and encourage that coal to come back in, the coal to burn a little bit brighter. And if we feel ourselves starting to roll away, We need to be not waiting for that that invitation to come back. We need to step back into that fire. and Step back into the light that it it puts out. See, our assemblies, the the time that we spend here this morning singing praises to God, the time that we spend here this morning praying and opening our hearts to God and and remembering the death of His Son and, and praising Him and reading from His Word, do you know what that is? It's a sneak peek. It's a, it's a trailer. We all know what trailers are. You go to the movies, and these, these are all the movies that are coming up. This is a trailer for, for the life that we can expect to live in eternity. It is a foretaste. And in Revelation chapter 7, it talks to us a little bit. <clears throat> Verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the na- angels were standing a- around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever amen. Then one of the elders answered saying to me These who are clothed in white robes who are they? Where have they come from? And I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And we would visit on the throne excuse me, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them and they will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat, for the lamb is in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We read that and as Christians, we we, we look forward to that day. Specifically, what we read in verses 16 and 17. We look Forward to the day where there is no more hunger and no more thirst. And we, we no longer are desiring to know God because we are with God. There, there, there is no more uncontrollable sorrow and, and, and burdens because God is there with us wiping away the tears. And this is something that goes on day and night. And it is something that goes on with a great multitude with people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue. And so what that tells me is that if I don't like, if I don't like what we're doing here today, maybe because I don't like some of the people that are there, or maybe because I don't feel like I just have the time for these things that we do today. If, if, if church, if the worship service that we have today, gathering with the saints for for a few short hours, if that's something that I don't appreciate today, I can go ahead and tell you right now, you're really not going to be happy with heaven. You're going to be disappointed with what God has in store for us for eternity. We need to really think about that. It is through God's creation It is through His revelation, it is through our prayers, and it is through His church that we draw closer to Him. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, where are we setting God? Where are we setting the Lord? Is He setting before us, always in our sight, always where we can see? Everything that has to approach us has to come through Him, Or is he off to the side as if he is a peer? Or is he walking behind? If we will do this, if we will set the Lord before us, and we will draw closer to God, and we will be able to sing with David what he wrote in Psalm 1611. Again, what we started out with, the presence of God is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. But I want to say that that joy is only available. Those pleasures are only there for those who belong to him. This morning, if you have not yet become a child of God, if you have not, if you have not believed in his son, and if you have not turned away from the ways of, of, of the world, from, from your own, own ways of how this is my life should, should be lived, or, or the ways of your family, or the ways of your friend, the wisdom of the world, and turn to his wisdom, turn to his way if you have not been buried with Him in baptism, as we talked about in class this morning, the forgiveness of our sins is through that precious blood which we come into contact with when we submit in obedience to baptism. And if we have not made that confession before men so that He will confess us before His Father, then we are not children of His. And if we are not children of His, we don't have this hope that His Word tells us over and over again is made available to us but we can. You can. If there is any way in which we can help you with that this morning, I encourage you to let it be known. And if, there, if you are a child of God and you have, have, have strayed from the truth and you realize you have not been setting the Lord before you and you desire to, to confess that or, or to just ask for the prayers of the saints, we desire to help you too. If there's anything we can do to assist you, won't you please let it be known right now as we stand and as we sing.